to us from God's word and using John 8 verses 12 to 30 as his focus. So if we turn to John chapter 8 verse 12, under the theme light of the world, the light of the world, where we read these words, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him, Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I come from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. We continue the reading for where Chris left it and it says... Once more Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases Him. Even as He spoke, many believed in Him. Let me tell you something I've never shared with anyone before. I am the light of the world. So you should feel very privileged today, for you are looking at the light of the world. That's me. I'm the light of the world. Now most of you will start thinking, now Fred's turning 70, he begins to lose his marbles. (laughs) He thinks he is the light of the world. He must be coming senile. What a ridiculous claim to make. But friends, I don't say that because I think so. 
I say that on good authority. Jesus himself told me in the Sermon of the Mount, you are the light of the world. So actually, all of you can make that claim. I am the light of the world. So try it out on your work colleagues tomorrow. <laughs> and see what reactions you get. But remember, you have it on good authority. Jesus himself gives you the right to say so. Now, in our text, Jesus is making the same claim. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, you can imagine the reaction of the people who first heard him say this. It will be similar to you just a moment ago. This man is mad to say a thing like that. Whom does he think he is? The religious specialists of his time, the Pharisees, therefore immediately challenged him. With what authority are you making such a claim? Your testimony is not valid because you just say that about yourself. You better come up with a very good witness to sustain a claim like that. And that brings us straight away to to the main topic of our text for today. What do you make of Jesus' claim that not only he is the light of the world, but continues to say in, in the following verses that actually he is equal with God, whom he calls his Father in heaven. And he applies God's name, I am, or I am who I am to himself. So it's not only imaginable that the Pharisees challenged him on that, but actually it's quite right. Because such a claim can be only made on good authority. And Jesus' answer has a direct bearing on us. Ultimately, we do not believe in Christianity or in Christian doctrines or in the church. No, we believe that Jesus is indeed the person he claims to be. He is the Son of God, sent by his Father to this world to save people from the death their sins deserve. And we believe in him. Only in him is light and life. And therefore outside of him is death and darkness. So the title for the sermon is Jesus Claims to be the one who is. It was C.S. Lewis, the Christian author who wrote a famous Narnia Chronicles, who in one of his books investigated Jesus' claim to be the Son of God. And he said about that, there is actually only three possibilities with regards to this claim. He said one is, Jesus was a liar. Two, Jesus was mad. And three, Jesus spoke the truth. So let's quickly explore these three possibilities. Could he have been a liar? In other words, he knew himself to be just an ordinary man, but he produced this lie that he was much more than that. So he made a claim that he was the son of God to feel important among the people. 
Now, but that is theoretically possible, of course. But if you ever have lied about something, you know how hard it is to be consistent. Often you have to cover up one lie with the next one. And so on. And in the end, you have your talk yourself in such a knot that it's impossible to disentangle it again. Now, if we have a critical look at what Jesus had to say in the Bible, we'll find that he never, ever contradicted himself. He was always fully consistent. He has been watched from a close distance by heaps of people, and none of them ever caught him on a lie. So he cannot be a liar. So what about possibility two? He's mad. So he is not lying about where he comes from, but in his confused mind, he really believes that he is the son of God, and he would not be the first one and the last one to, to think a thing like that. Now, I don't know if you ever had to do with, with a person who had schizophrenia or a similar problem. Sometimes they can talk very cleverly and very convincingly. And yet you feel there's something not right. And after a while you detect the distortion of their thinking. Can Jesus be a man like that? And again the answer is no. For he has been around long enough among many people. We have quite a a record of his deeds and his sayings. And people would have found out sooner or later that there was something wrong with his mind. But it was not. He was always clear and consistent in whatever he had to say and what he did. So that leaves us only with a third possibility. Jesus is indeed what he claims to be. He came from heaven as the Son of God. He took on human flesh as the man Jesus. He lived and died in Israel some 2,000 years ago, and he was seen by hundreds of people after his resurrection from the dead. Perhaps one possibility more should be considered and dealt with, and it's this. Since it's not so long, it is so long ago that all these things happened, we cannot quite be sure whether he was really a historical figure. He he could have been created by people who sought a good man to start their religion. But that one won't go either, friends. Actually, there's a hundred times more proof for the fact that Jesus indeed lived on earth and did what he did than that we have proof that Abel Tasman ever landed on Tasmania after a long trip from the Netherlands. So there's actually only one possibility left. Namely that Jesus is indeed the person he claims to be. Now that being the case, why do so many people choose to ignore him? Why did the Pharisees In Israel, who saw him in his body and heard him not believe in him. Now, in our scripture reading of today, we find an extensive discussion of Jesus with the Pharisees. And exactly on the point we were just talking about. Is Jesus whom he claims to be or not? And the Pharisees could not accept his claim. So some of them 
concluded he was a liar and others that he was out of his mind. So these are the two options left if you deny the possibility that he speaks the truth. Now, why did the Pharisees not believe him? And in verse 23, Jesus gives the answer. They could not believe in him because you are from below and I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Well, that's the whole answer. It was not so much they didn't want to believe. It was just impossible for them to believe. For Jesus came from above. He was from above and he spoke from above. And they all were from below. They were human beings. Limited in their understanding of spiritual realities. That someone would come from heaven. Live amongst them and then return to where he came from, was totally beyond them. You are of this world, Jesus said, but I am not of this world. Now what does it mean? Gobbledygook. We would think of someone who says this. Makes no sense whatsoever. But friends, it's true. It is the reality. Jesus is from above indeed. And he comes from his Father in heaven. And the problem is there is no way that leads from below, from where we are, to above, to where he comes from. We are completely locked in down here. And that is where we will die. And Jesus even indicates why and how we will die. You will die in your sins. That means in ourselves there is no hope of escaping this horrible situation we are born into, born into sin and therefore born into death. So is there a way to escape? But the desire to escape this circle of death is the motive for human search for spirituality of all times and all places. There must be more to life than being born, going through life, for a number of years and then to die. Animals never ask questions about that. As long as they have their food and some shelter, they are contented. They never ask, what's this life really all about? Or what will happen to me if I die, after I die? Animals don't wonder about such things. But man has always done that. He knows that he doesn't only have a body, but also a spirit. A spirit which is hungry for spirituality, for contact with a higher being, for God. But since man is from below, he can search all his life, but heaven is close to him. He cannot get there. What is needed is someone from above who draws them into his life. And that is exactly what Jesus came to do. So he says in verse 24, If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will die on your sins. And we can turn that around and hear Jesus' promise there. If you do believe 
that I am the one I claim to be. You will not die in your sins, but you will live. I will break for you the lock that keeps you in bondage. I will provide a solution for the problem of your sin. And if you believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will cross over from death to life that very moment. How can Jesus promise that? Isn't it only God himself who can give life, even eternal life, to people? Now, if you have a, have a look, I, I don't know whether it's in, in, I had it in my version of the NIV. Well, that's the 9084 one. This is a little bit different, so it, it might say here um, the same thing. If not, go back to your old, old Bible and you'll find it there. And it says this, there is a, um, there's a footnote there in your NIV. And there you find a more literal translation of what Jesus is saying. He said, if you do not believe that I am he. In Greek, Jesus merely says, if you do not believe that I am, you will die, etc. Now, do you remember the name with which the Lord introduced himself to Moses way back in the desert? Yahweh, I am. Or, I am who I am. Now, the Pharisees must have picked up the very unusual way Jesus referred to himself. I am, or I am he. We never say a thing like that. So they heard something very strange in it and... And understood the implication of it. So that's why they react somewhat shocked. Who do you say you are? I am. Is the name reserved for God only. And that's such a holy name that the Jews didn't even dare to use it. But Jesus says, I am. Just what I've been claiming all along. I am the son of God. I am the one. Israel knows as Yahweh, the God of Israel. For as son, I'm totally one with my father. I've come from my father with a message. And I only pass on what I have heard from him. And God is absolutely trustworthy, he says. Though you may think I am a madman or a liar, that's Jesus saying too. But he says... I am so one with the Father. He is trustworthy and I only speak what he gives me to say. And therefore my words are reliable too. For God is the God of truth. And if you reject my words, you reject the very word of God. You reject God himself. And that can only bring judgment upon you. So listen to what I tell you and what I have to say to you. Now, verse 27 says they had not a clue what he was trying to tell them. That a man standing before them could call God his own father. That was beyond them. And friends, the truth is, no one can understand this unless you first accept Jesus' claim that he is who he is. That he is the son of God. That he is God himself who appeared in the flesh. That he is the one who is God. 
And we saw earlier that we are from below and that he is from above. And there's no way that we can make contact with him from our side. No matter how religious we are, no matter how deep thinkers we are, no matter how hard we try, there's a chasm that separates below from above. And yet, there is a bridge. Jesus has indicated already a few times in our passage, the bridge is Jesus himself. And the only way that we can cross this bridge is by believing in him, by accepting his claim that he is who he is, that he is the one who is. He is the light of the world that we have to follow in order to have the light of life. He's the only one through whom we can get a relationship with God and also become ourselves a light in this dark world, carrying a light that we received from above. But the very fact that Jesus talking about from below and from above reminds us of something we find earlier in John's Gospel. In chapter 3, Jesus speaks in the night to a, a, a man called Nicodemus. And he points out to Nicodemus, and I suppose we are familiar with the passage, that he says, a man must be born again in order to enter into the kingdom of God. Without being born again, you cannot even see the kingdom of God, let alone enter it. And you'll find in a footnote in that same chapter that the word again, in the expression born again, can also be translated as born from above. So that would make Jesus would make Jesus say, you must be born from above. And that fits in perfectly with our chapter. Jesus is from above, we are from below. And therefore, we cannot understand what he is saying. We don't even want to accept what he is saying, for we are all from below. But we must be born from above in order to understand things from above. And again, only God himself can give that to you. Salvation is from the Lord, and it's not under our control. Now, you will understand that Jesus claimed that it's only through him that we can come to God. That's a very exclusive position. Lots of people in the world believe in God. For instance, Muslims do. And they work hard out to please the one in whom they believe is God. Many church people all over the world believe in God. And I suppose all of you believe in God. Otherwise you would not bother to come to church, I assume. Because if you don't believe that, you would have sought some other Sunday entertainment. But what our text puts to us is this. Do you believe that Jesus is the one whom he claims to be, the Son of God, who has the exclusive right to bring people into his kingdom? If you don't believe that, or if you find that a bit too exclusive and therefore an offensive thought, well, then you are still out. But friends, there is a way in. 
and you're welcome to enter. And that is the good news that we proclaim in church. But it starts with accepting Jesus' claim that he is indeed the one who is. In verse 28, Jesus gives them, um, gives the Jews a clue. He said, you might now not be able to believe what I say. But in a couple of years' time, the Father will come to the greatest revelation this world will ever see. It is when God the Father allows his Son to be nailed to a cross. And so he says, 28, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be, and that I do nothing of my own, but speak just what the Father taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. What Jesus is saying is, you may now not be able to accept my claim that I am the Son of God who only does what his Father wants him to do, but when you have lifted me up, when you have nailed me to a cross, think again. I always do what pleases my Father. Not my will, but his will must be done. And he'll be with me. So you may think that nailing me to a cross is the ultimate proof that my claim was false after all and that God was not with me. But the opposite is true. I always do what pleases him. And it has pleased God the Father that through my death, the shackles of death will be broken. And it's ultimately what you see in the cross which will decide on your eternal future. Let me finish with a quote of the Apostle Paul to whom the power of the gospel had been revealed. You can find it in 1 Corinthians 1, 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Friends, I cannot save you. I cannot convince you of the truth of Jesus' claim. Only God's Holy Spirit can do that and make you believe his claim. I can only plead with you. Look at the cross and look again until you get a glimpse of God's love for you. Until you get an insight in the amazing power of the cross. For there is saving power in it. Start following the light of the world. And you will have light and life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son from above to us here below. And that by make, and you made that promise that by believing in him, we will not die in our sins, but will be carriers of the light of life. Lord, thank you for that wonderful perspective. And we pray, Lord, give that will be a great encouragement every day in our life. That we may grow in it. And that we learn to love him more and more as we see 
what God is doing for us every day and what Jesus has done for us by dying for us to give us life. Lord, thank you for your blessing through Jesus Christ. Amen.